Welcome to the Holistic You community. I'm your host, James Weiler. Like you, I'm an expert in one area. And like you, I'm curious to know more. And that's what this community is all about. It's about asking the right questions to the right people to get the right answers and have a little bit of fun along the way. I hope the answers to these questions makes your journey a little bit easier. Welcome, everyone. Today on the show, we have Rachel Torcasio. Now, Rachel comes from Melbourne, so she's trying to get some sun down there, which we know is a pretty rare thing. Basking in a bit of sun at the moment. How's everything going for you, Rachel? Good. We're fortunate enough to have a 30-odd degree day on Saturday, so that was quite nice to get out and enjoy the sun, you know, see the beach, ride on the motorbike. It was good. Absolutely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we've had some pretty warm weather here in Brisbane. Obviously, it's a bit more balmy, a bit more humid mm. for us here. And more consistent. We have the four seasons <laughs> in one day. As I said before, you'll see the sun coming in and out of the window at different times. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Rachel is on the show today to talk about a couple of things. So firstly, we want to do an episode, which is today's episode, on basically all about having a healthy relationship with yourself and others and the journey that you go through after you suffer trauma. And Rachel's really kind of Rachel to come on the show because she's actually going to open up and be sharing some pretty intimate stuff with us. The second episode, which we'll release in a couple of weeks, is a bit more lighthearted and that's all about attachment styles. So I'm sure we can all use some knowledge in that area, particularly if we're in a relationship or entering a new relationship because I'm sure Rachel will share that can be quite a challenging dynamic for us. Mm, definitely an attachment theory as we'll learn you know forms the basis of all our relationships so as much as we'd all love to deny it (laughs) certainly influences the way we relate to ourselves and to other people so i think it's a nice couple of episodes we'll be working through you know joining the two yeah and rachel i know like me i'm financial planner bound by regulation and disclaimers Mm. so can we start off with your disclaimer Absolutely. So obviously I'm Rachel Torcasio. I'm a psychologist. I work for myself at Embody Psychology. And I guess the main thing to let people know is that today the content of this podcast isn't therapy. I'm sharing like general psychoeducation and information which may or may not suit different listeners based on their personal situations. It might resonate, it might not. To take listen to the episode I think with an open mind, knowing what I share is needs to be evidence based knowledge and based on best practice not therapy it's not about crisis support you know other people will have proper support teams and care teams in place so take what you need with you and release the rest i guess yeah thanks rachel and so the audience can get to know you a little bit better can you share why you actually became a psychologist what's the sort Mm. of background what got you Mm. into that field I guess it was a combination of my family upbringing and the role that I sort of naturally fell into as a teenager, even in primary school. Like I was the listener, I was the helpful one in friendship circles at school, even at home. I was quite close to my mum. My mum and brother's emotions at times were felt to me bigger, bigger in the family than others in the family. So I became really sensitive and really attuned to other people's needs, struggles, you know, changes in their body language, eye contact, anything like that, that might have meant something was wrong. So I was a peer mediator in like, I think grade four and grade six. (laughs) (laughs) 
I guess you're hypersensitive to people's mm. emotions. Yeah. Quite hypervigilant, yeah, like always like yeah. my own psychologist describes me as like a Kelpie, like a working dog, so I'm always like on looking for <laughs> herding everyone back into the team or making sure everyone's okay. Yeah, okay. Mm. Oh, well, that's, that's a nice, that's nice symbology. It is nice, actually. <laughs> Kelpies are still playful and, you know, really real. And that's how I <laughs> like to think of my, the way I practice as well is that I'm like quite raw yep. and real. That's why I was honored, you know, to have the opportunity to come on the show and talk a little bit about my personal experience. I mean, where do we begin with that? Where would you like to begin with sharing that? I guess I thought I'd just sort of start by talking about where my true calling came from even working as a psychologist. I think we sort of spoke about that. You know, I was naturally curious yeah. about working with people, their experiences that shaped their behaviours, you know, they, the way they related to themselves and each other. And I think after a traumatic loss in my life about five years ago, when I was widowed unexpectedly, that I realised I needed to really, well, I had to have a healthy relationship with myself to get life back on track for one of a better phrase. So you, I guess you went from helping others as your sort of true calling mm-hmm. and then you you probably needed that help yourself at that yeah, point. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was a big like, you know, the rugs kind of pulled out from underneath you. I was 29 years old. I was still completing my psych degree. So I was like still on my pea plates in training, you know, learning about the world and yeah, to have that loss and all the secondary losses that kind of come along with it is really confronting at such a young age. No doubt about it. That's I can't really imagine what it's like to have mm-hmm. that happen. I mean, it's not comparable, obviously, but just to share as well, I mean, I've been through a breakup and that, for me, I remember post that breakup, basically not being able to eat, obviously nothing even remotely close, but I just remember it being a really tough time mm-hmm. and really not really knowing how to rebuild and not really knowing how to look after yourself. And you've just given a really good example of loss. Like it's it's on a scale and it's not just death. Like it is relationship breakups, it's divorce, it's losing a job, it's losing a sense of security, loss of what never was or never can be in the future, lost hopes and dreams. Like it's the reality of life is loss. That's like the one thing for certain. It's going to look differently. It's going to, yeah. Everyone's going to be confronted with some aspect of it sometime or another and we're not taught how to rebuild really that's right it's almost like an existential thing too like you're right it's like the only constant (laughs) yeah but it's the one thing we don't talk about we we don't talk about it especially in western culture it's so taboo and people would rather say nothing than say the wrong thing whereas from someone who's lost someone you'd rather just an acknowledgement than someone saying nothing because it's you know you feel quite unseen or overlooked in your experience and then, like, even the practicalities, like, as you mentioned, like, obviously being widowed, a lot of your peers are in a situation mm. where they actually have partners and they probably forget, not forget intentionally, but mm. it doesn't enter their realm of remembering or thinking about you just because you're on your own now, which yeah. which you didn't used to be. And it was very much like everyone in the friendship group had partners, you know, you'd all come together. So yeah. you start, to, and even with a relationship breakup, right, like, you have friends that are at the same sort of stage in life or they're progressing, whether it's, you know, engagement, babies, building businesses, yeah. a person to fall back on at the end of the day. And when you lose that, you lose that whole circle of security that you had and a whole sense of self. So you're literally at rock bottom, crumbled down. I'm so sorry, Rachel, that that's crazy. But also I think 
from a positive point of view, it's nice to know that you've experienced something and you you know how it feels. So then you can obviously help others, which is probably what makes you good at your job, you know. I certainly felt that after that trauma in my life that I knew what it was really knew what it was like to be on the other side of a chair. <laughs> like I understood when people yeah. come to me and they said, I'm so disconnected from my body, like I can't feel anything or I don't trust anyone anymore or people are going to abandon me or leave. Like you can understand that on a theoretical level, but I think until we live yeah. through certain things that it's really hard to connect with other people and especially with the work that I do. Yeah. So it certainly gave you a new perspective and I guess how would you say it changed your perspective as a practitioner? I think it's a yeah, a new perspective but just priorities. Like I want to be real. I don't want to be a robot on the other side of that chair. Like it happened at a really tragic time in my life but I don't know if it's like the right timing but certainly Shannon, the partner I lost, would say everything happens for a reason. <laughs> So, you know, don't try and figure it out. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out, but it'll make sense because yeah. it's just shaped the whole way. It's the whole way I practice, how I deal, you know, work with people, what I want to disclose to people, my um, yeah. confidence to show sadness or anger for the people that I work with. Like I'm not afraid to cry with someone if they're upset for their experience, just to be really real yeah. and authentic. Wow. And like how would you say that you did rebuild and like what sort of steps did you take to to sort of get you get you from that sort of dark place and see Mm. sort of see the light good question (laughs) i remember (laughs) telling myself constantly there's no right or wrong way to do this i think having a bit of knowledge in the 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 career that i was moving into i just knew that the only only way out was going to be through it i was certainly detached from my own physical and emotional experience for the first 12 18 months just a bit of shock you know, legal proceedings, moving houses, finishing my qualification, and then, like most of us, COVID hit, <laughs> and we're forced to kind of sit with our feelings, our experiences, yeah. lots of reading books, like trying to find blog posts, people that had similar experiences at similar age, which was quite rare, in fact, so that was confronting. And yeah. My brain, yeah. that was a coping mechanism, I think, like my brain looks for information and facts, I'll intellectualize things to get away from how I feel about things. I used to write a lot, not poems, but just pieces. And I, I chose to share that, those things on social media because it was a way of letting people know how I was feeling without having to be upset in front of them because I'm the helper. I can't show my weakness. I can't show that I'm sad or that I'm not okay. And did you, like, did you seek out help at the time? Yeah, I saw yeah. a psychologist about two or three months after it happened because I just knew that I didn't yep. even know where to start <laughs> and I'd seen her maybe four yeah. times before that and I almost got that yeah you're you're fine like you seem to have everything under control not dismissed I thought I was fine too <laughs> six 12 months down the track found a grief counselor in particular you know sort of yeah, I think, yeah it was over 12 months back in the sort of dating pool that just brought yep. up stuff without rec- realizing would bring up stuff a bit naive going back in sort of feeling really unprepared and still quite you know like the rubble like still quite you know broken down that's right and do you think um these days there's a any taboo with seeing a therapist i think that covid has helped break it break the taboo that's there 
from where yeah. I sit, I think 20, even 25% of my client load prior to then were people who identified as male. And when during COVID, it jumped up to 50 to 75%. So it was, they needed support. They needed somebody to talk to. Um, there's still a lot of yeah. stigma around it. Social media helps break it down. TikTok, <laughs> free therapy. Some people use it as. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is good though. Mm. But I think like for me, I've always found that if you go and see, so I've seen a psychologist before too after that trauma I experienced, mm. it's just nice to get someone who is a professional who can give you some kind of big picture, mm. unbiased advice. Whereas when you have a yarn to your, your folks or mm. your, your friends or your siblings, they're going to obviously have your side, so they're not really going to mm. see it objectively. Yeah, yeah. They just want you to feel better, right? They're not yeah. necessarily there to get you to yeah. reflect or see what you can learn or do differently. They can be harsh as well. Like, you know, therapists, you know, we're, we're trained, meant to be impartial and help you reflect on your experiences yeah. and learn and grow and just allow you to be sad if that's how you're feeling that day or low if yeah. that's how you're feeling. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's also, I think, a really important part, like, just accepting the emotions and feeling them because mm. you're not always going to feel good. You just can't. Mm. We're sold a fake dream, aren't we, that, you know, when I have this or when I achieve this yeah. or when I do this, I'll be happy. Yeah. And just, you know, I was I was quite an anxious person prior to that happening, like perfectionist, um, wanted everything, you know, under my control because control is safety and predictability. Yeah. And when you're confronted with something like that, and even in relationship yeah. breakup, like we can assume we, we're going to be with our partner and we don't know that one day they're going to wake up and say, I don't want to be with you anymore. So how instantly life can change. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And then not like in your situation, there was no choice, yeah. <laughs> which is even, yeah. even harder. Yeah. Quite interesting because um, for some people, like my person's not alive anymore. Like it's so unfathomable. Whereas when it's a relationship breakup, it's like, but the person's still there. I There's still hope I could still try this or I could do that or if I apologize. So, you know, it's different with the way we choose yeah. to cope and respond in those situations as well. And like you said, because the dating world is like it's a bit of a minefield. Mm-hmm. So coming from, from that sort of vulnerable place, I can imagine mm-hmm. that would have been really tough for you, Rachel. Yeah, It was. And unfortunately, I was probably quite vulnerable, not sort of, put back together again again for want of better words but ended up you know seeing some undesirable characters I suppose and being taken for granted and you know treated really poorly and accepting less than I deserved and that I think that was just before 2020 so then it was 2020 got this time to sit with myself I started connecting with the physical pain in my body like I needed to see chiropractors I needed to see therapists I needed to you know, make sure I move my body every day, do some kind of grounding and meditation, like really recognizing that I can't be out there unless I can really connect with myself first. Absolutely. And that's a sort of a great sort of change in direction here. So for people that have gone through that, how can they sort of rebuild and, and how do they, you know, it's always cliche, like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. focus on yourself. Mm. But like, what does that actually mean? Like yeah. from a psychologist's point of view, how does someone actually do that? Mm. I say slowing down is the best thing that's ever helped me. It's hard, but when, you know, it's about educating yourself on that intellectual level, so having the knowledge, learning how to be in your own company as well, like how 
comfortable as most of us with just spending time on our own, practicing being our own, saying no to certain social events, saying no to even if it's not spending a night with a partner, like stay at home and just see what it feels like. I can so so resonate with that. I think for me when I had my the breakup that I had, that the one that affected me, mm. I did the whole, you know, the boy thing where you go out and you, you party a lot and yeah. you uh let yourself go and yeah. you know, don't act in line with the way you should be. And then you have those pretty volatile moments because you mm. normally there's a lot of alcohol involved yeah. as well. So I just remember running around like a headless chook, actually. Mm, um, which feels and, liberating. And even at the time, that's right? really, <laughs> it feels liberating. That's right. Mm. But it's a kind of like a, it's a short term buzz, really. And then that's probably what one of the reasons that led to the podcast. Like I was just running around like a headless chook, doing too much. Yeah. And then I reckon recently, since I started the podcast, it has been more organized, like you said, and saying no to stuff, slowing down, and also mm-hmm. just spending time on what you want to do. What's mm. best for you? Mm. It's kind yeah. of like we're running away from ourselves. And I did that too in COVID yeah. as well, like drinking. There's lots of lock-in parties kind of thing with friends. Like I'll admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't advise it. <laughs> but it was trying yeah. to run, 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 escape my feelings, escape my memories. But as slowing yeah. down forces us to sit with ourselves. How do we want to spend our time? What do we actually like doing? Do I feel good when I connect with this person? Do I feel energized or depleted when I engage in this activity? That kind of thing. Yep. And if your paradigm has always been like that, running around like a headless chook, spending time with people that deplete you, doing activities that deplete you, to sort of change that, it's actually a lot of yeah, self-discovery that you need to go through. It's reprogramming, essentially, our, yeah. even our physiological, on a physiological level. There's a lot of Instagram pages out there now about um, the nerve, reprogramming and repatterning our nervous system. We're, we're used to being on high alert or even if we're used to being really detached, like trying to come back into what's referred to as like a window of tolerance that we can be connected with our emotions, be cool, calm and connected and collected, so to speak. It's new, it's yeah. foreign scary yeah absolutely okay so now that we've i guess we've sort of taken a bit of a journey so we've said we have experience and trauma we kind of have an idea what we have to do to rebuild ourselves Mm. and work on ourselves can you then talk us through when we enter a new relationship how do we sort of set up or set ourselves up for a healthy relationship Mm. And how do we kind of approach that? What are some really important things that we need to make sure that we have really communicate with our, mm. with our new partner? Yeah, and, and I think before we can do that, it's being able to be honest and communicate those with ourselves and really um, so we can reconcile them with the other person, like creating that foundation, like you said, because we're more appealing to a healthy partner if we're in a healthy relationship with ourselves too. That's the thing. So like, true. Yeah, we need to remember yeah. that. <laughs> it's like we get stuck yeah. on why doesn't that person want me, but it's like do I want them? Are they good for me? Are they healthy? That kind of thing. So true. I feel like if you're feeling really good inside, you're radiating outside. Mm. Like mm. you're kind of exuding that energy. and Yeah, it's like a confidence and a glow. Like you'll see or even you notice when someone's in a happy relationship yeah. and you can see it in a photo, like it does speak a thousand words. It speaks to how happy a person is you know, to their soul yeah. almost. Yeah. So I think, you know, before having these conversations with 
entering into a new relationship, we need to learn things about what do I value, what are my bottom lines, my non-negotiables, how do I have to spend this much time with family or this much time with friends, do I need a night to myself all the time, like sport's really important to me, it's important that our social circles are connected, you know, what are my boundaries, how do you fight, how do we fight fair, there's there's like the lists are endless, I guess. Um, coming up with those things, you know, what are red flags, what's a green light, what's a warning sign that I should be wary of when meeting someone, lots of, you know, those things first, but the confidence to have these conversations. So let's start with boundaries then. So Mm -hmm. how would you get someone to approach setting boundaries? And can you just give some examples of what you think healthy Mm -hmm. boundaries are as well? Mm -hmm. I had a really good conversation with a friend the other night about boundary setting and she reminded me that Boundaries are there to protect you, not to protect the other person. They're not there to punish the other person. They're there to say, this is where I begin and end, and this is where you begin and end. This is a line that you can't cross, and this is how I want to be treated, and this is how I won't accept being treated. And how would you communicate that to your partner? So say if your partner Mm. oversteps your boundaries, Mm. so Mm. you wanted a night on your own and they didn't respect that and they showed up mm-hmm. to your place or something like that, how would you approach that? Mm-hmm. Confronting when it's crossed so evidently. I guess I'd just be like, oh, what are you doing here? Like I, I needed this time to myself. I need, I just need space for myself, not space from you because often people push a boundary because they feel discomfort within yeah. themselves, especially around the spending time yeah. together thing that leads into attachment style a lot, which we can, you know, dive into in the next episode. So often they're feeling anxious because they're apart from you. They might have been cheated on in the past. They don't, they don't trust how you're going to spend your time. Sometimes they know what they're doing when they're on their own and that's not the right thing. So they assume the other partner's doing it. So just gently, you know, they need firm but fair. Two words I love to use, firm but fair. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Okay. Some boundaries um, you can establish early on, like going on dates, if you're comfortable. That no one normalizes that enough. Yeah. No one, like a lot of people don't date to say, this is what I want and this is what I need because they're too afraid of sounding needy or demanding. But then we end up yeah. in connection with people that just, they're not even in the realm of considering meeting any of those needs or respecting any of our boundaries. Absolutely. And I know it's hard to gauge, but when would you have these conversations, would you say? Some people say go like head on and go do it in the first date. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of Mark Rose. He's had the Create the Love podcast and Instagram page. He thinks early on, like the first two or three dates, other people say, you know, two or three months in terms of, you know, are we an item? Can I ask for more? Depends what you're looking for, I think. Because yeah, also right. boundaries is about saving your energy and time. Like I don't want yeah. to spend two or three months with someone that, does wants kids and I don't want kids or wants to get married and I don't want to get married. So we've got to you've got to think about those things as well. Some things need to be established early on. You can't change people's yeah. minds. I think there's also nice sort of subtle, delicate ways you can mm. you can ask those questions. And paying attention, yeah. like people show us who yeah. they are, believe yeah. them, as they say. Like mm. for example, if you're dating someone and they have a sibling that has kids Mm. You can ask, do you like your sibling's kids? Or you can ask these types of questions that can lead to that conversation without it being like, do you want to have a family? Mm. 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 Are you, you know? ready to settle down? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Where do yeah. you want to live? Yeah, but also yeah. it's okay to ask. Yeah. Like 
we're taught that it's not okay to say what we want directly, often in our upbringing with our families or friends or teachers because it's not heard or it's not responded to in a way that feels good for us. So we shy yeah. away from saying it. And I still do yeah. it. I'm not a per- I'm by far the perfect communicator. Like, if I don't yeah. feel heard, I get angry and I go on the attack. Guilty. I must say as well, though, when you meet people, even friends of mine, you know, potential people that you're dating, when they're very firm on what they want and what they need, it's quite attractive, I think, because it shows that they're, they're a high conviction person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It shows a sense of um, knowing themselves. Yeah. And a sense of, you know, um, loyalty even to themselves. So if a person yeah. can be loyal to themselves, they're more likely to be able to be loyal to you and what you need. That's right. Mm-hmm. So true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I think we'll have to put that in the quote, Rachel. That's, yeah. that's, that's quality. <laughs> Came up with it on the spot. <laughs> that's some verbal gold right there. <laughs> yeah, you uh, checked the time. Okay. 34, 34. <laughs> now, you did mention yeah. as well, you mentioned green lights and red flags. So mm. can you can you talk to me? about like what is a green light i think it's pretty obvious but just explain it for the listeners and then some examples as well it's not talked about enough i think everyone goes on about red flags and there's memes on social media about how like being like a bull to a red flag i mean we've all been there it's like we want to take on the challenge but you know it's pretty obvious the universally agreed upon ones being like you know physical abuse sexual abuse you know emotional abuse that that's just not on in relationships shouldn't be tolerated but there's others that Red flags for one person is going to be different for other people, but yep. green flags, like for me, I always say it's a willingness to listen, to be wrong, to make mistakes, to try and repair, to develop a healthy communication style. I feel like willingness to me can just like a willingness for everything, <laughs> being open-minded, <laughs> being patient, not being too yep. force, like forceful, forward controlling like just you know being able to be yourself like someone allowing you to be yourself to express yourself is a green flag that knows themselves again comes back to that and there's other ones for people like for some people a green light might be having your own business but for someone else it might be a red light because that might mean the financial security they really need for their future like they're interchangeable depending on the person's circumstances exactly what about you? What would you say some green flags are that you've learnt over time? Oh, you've hit some good ones there. Mm. But for me, when I meet people for the first time, something that I use as a bit of a barometer is just how they speak about their family and friends mm. and their general approach to life. Mm. So if they talk about their family and friends and they have a lot of love, kindness mm-hmm. and good things about good things to mm. say about them, to me, that's like, oh, great. So you have, you're in a positive environment. You're around people that you should be around yeah. as well. And mm-hmm. then if they have a positive outlook to life, that also shows that I think they take ownership of their own, their own path. They're kind of forging their own path. Yeah. And then that translates, I think, to them knowing themselves well. Mm-hmm. And then also just taking ownership for, for what their life throws at them. We all understand, obviously, that like in your situation, you've experienced something that's just totally unlucky. Like you didn't, mm. it wasn't your fault. Mm. Something, something totally from left field came at us and we couldn't really predict it. But also from what I can hear and learning about you through our mutual friend, Nicole, you've clearly taken that on 
and you haven't actually blamed anyone for it and you've actually incorporated it into your practice. So I think you've actually turned it into a positive thing. So those to me are things like are green flags. And then mm. red flags is where you meet someone and basically the opposite of that. I think mm. people have a victim mentality. Mm. The world's against them. It's everyone yeah. else's fault. And oh. then they talk negatively about other people mm. to, to basically put themselves up or make themselves mm-hmm. feel better. So obviously I don't, that's just not my vibe. I don't like that mm. energy. Mm. So yeah, That's so another good one. Energy. Yeah. Like we energy, feel that yeah. even if it's not through words. Like um, yeah. I often say to people, how do you feel in a person's presence? Presence yeah. In the workshop that Nicole and I run, we talk about, think about how does this person make me feel, not what they're doing, yeah. not what they can offer me. When you're with them and when you're not with them too, like do yeah. they keeping regular, consistent communication? Do they ghost me for days or weeks and then reappear? Do they send really short, disinterested messages or when it suits them, are they booty calling it? Like it looks different depending on the connection for people, but like how do you feel around them? Do they drain you or do they make you feel more full? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that's so true. My my dad actually said to me, like, what are you looking for in a partner? And I sort of ran him through all these qualities that I wanted and he just said to me mate you should be focused on how they make you feel don't worry mm-hmm. about all that other stuff so he's yeah, obviously yeah. a bit of a sage bit of a sage like <laughs> you so <laughs> and you know from yeah. a different generation like our generation yeah. just really starting to uncover this stuff yeah 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 and I think our generation also has like a, probably an unrealistic idea of what their partner should be though we all think that they're like mm. some superhuman yeah. Um, and we're not obviously superhuman ourselves. So no. no, and like in me doing what I do as a psychologist and working as a, with people on relationship for themselves and other people doesn't make me perfect in my current relationship at all. Like it's been on yeah. again, off again, you know, plenty of times. And sometimes because we look at the green flags or the tip of the iceberg, people look yep. good on paper, they might tick the boxes. When we yep. get to rough seas or get underneath the iceberg, that the foundations have to be really strong. Yeah. They really do. Absolutely. Mm. And knowing um, what builds the foundation for you and for them and is it compatibility is a big one. What does compatibility mean? Like Mm. how would you describe that? Mm. I mean, some people might say both having a secure attachment style. I don't agree on that because I think we can flip in and out of different, like a secure and an insecure attachment style. But I think compatibility in terms of that willingness to communicate and to listen. Do we have shared goals for the future? Like it might feel really good now. It might feel like a real high in the honeymoon period. But in the long term, do we want the same time with friends and family? Do we want children? Do we want like those, you know, physical or milestone kind of things? But how do we work together under stress? Can I put my needs aside when my partner needs more support and vice versa? Some yep. things that make us compatible okay. or not compatible. Mm. And just you mentioned the honeymoon period. So mm. I'm interested. What's your views on like how long does that normally yeah. last? And from a scientific point of view. So it's got a formal name. It's called limerence. And, and, and a lot of people are so relieved when they hear that because, you know, it's like, oh, fuck, that's why it finally, like, ended, that feelings. Yeah. It's like they're not interested in me anymore or, or I've lost interest in them. 
It's like our bodies on a physiological level, our hearts beat faster, our pupils are dilated, we get sweaty palms, you get the butterflies in your stomach and you feel different around them because your body is happy. There's more happy endorphins running through. But on a physiological level, for that to be sustained, it can't be because you know, yeah. I think we'd almost die <laughs> because it's not sustainable for our hearts to beat like that or to operate like that and to think logically yeah. and rationally and focus on our day-to-day tasks or connecting with other people or doing our jobs. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I don't know, they say six months, three to six months. I think okay. it depends on how much time we spend with people and yeah. depends on perhaps our attachment styles and what trauma stuff might be triggered in the connection because yep. that's when after the honeymoon period is, okay, I start to see you for who you are. I'm not maybe putting you on a pedestal so much. I'm not putting my best foot forward. I get tired yep. and cranky, that kind of thing. Oh, great. Rachel, where can people find you and what services do you offer? Hmm. So I provide, I'm a psychologist and people can find me online via Instagram at embody underscore psychology and that's spelled E-M-B-O-D-H-I, embody. I've got a website, www.embodypsychology.com.au. You can contact me via there. I can provide online, so Zoom and telehealth with a referral from a GP. You get a rebate, a significant rebate of your sessions. It's nearly 50%, which is quite good. Yeah, online, social. Okay. <laughs> we'll add it to the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, and uh, see you again in a couple of weeks, Rachel. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. Nice discussing those things with you. You too. All right, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Holistic You podcast, where we inspire you with the confidence to live a happy, healthy, and more balanced life. If you found today's content meaningful, please tag me in your stories or posts or follow me on Instagram. Like and subscribe and leave a five-star written review. 